0: You are listening to the Sill Podcast: Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. <music> Episode forty-nine: The Undefinable Spirit: Snapshots from the Edge with Pete Patterson.
1: Today, we have a very special guest on The Undefinable Spirit. We have Pete Patterson here on the program. And uh, Pete, I know you fairly well, but I really only know you as a photographer. And I know there are probably other sides to you that we're going to uncover today. But the one side of you which I find very interesting is that the last time we talked, you said something about, and the word was, Goodism, that you believed in goodism, and I want to explore that to start off. What the heck is goodism?
2: Well, it's not a religion by any means, because I'm a born-again atheist, and (laughs) I can give you a little description of how I arrived at that. My family wasn't very religious. I think my dad was uh, Anglican and my mom was probably Catholic. She's from Germany. He's from England. And we did uh, Christmas and uh, Easter, went to church, I can't remember, probably a handful of times, uh, until I went to uh, a private school. I was sent away to boarding school as punishment uh, when I was 12. And at that school, we had to go to chapel every day and twice on Sunday. So I got, uh, for the seven years I was there, I figured I'd done quite a lot of religion. But I believed uh, what they were saying. It was an Anglican church that we had to go to. And you listen to it and you, yeah, okay, well, everybody believes this. And uh, then I photographed a guy, uh, Tom Harper, who was a religious writer for Mm. the Star, I believe. This ties us into our photography career and many things in my life I can tie into my photography. And then a couple of years later, I found a book of his or that he'd written after that one called The Pagan Christ.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And he described the whole Christian religion as a myth. And then you start reading Joseph Campbell as well, the power of myth, Mm -hmm. and you go, start putting things together and realizing that all world religions are made up by humans, and they give many, many people a lot of comfort. But it sealed my fate as being what I call a born-again atheist because I'm not an agnostic. I truly believe that we're here I don't know if the Big Bang was a real thing. But it is just an amazing universe, and our planet is beyond comprehension. It's phenomenal. Hmm. But to explain the whole rollout of our planet as some big guy in the sky and why it had to be a man, I'm not sure. But
1: uh,
2: (laughs) I always say it's explaining the unexplainable with an unexplainable. So I'm an atheist, and then what do you say? Okay, that's a harsh word. A lot of people don't like that. So I'm thinking. Well, my whole philosophy in life is just to help each other.
1: Mm-hmm. So wait, wait, and, uh, wait a second. Is is that not the same as humanism? Then, or is that different?
2: Yeah, I, I would say humanism is the same. But I came up with this crazy word called goodism. <laughs> 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 be,
1: be careful. Somebody could make a uh, religion out of that. <laughs>
2: uh, no, that's the whole point. There's no dogma in this. And if you spell dogma backwards, what is it?
1: Uh, am God?
2: Exactly. Am Every God. Every is full of that. So <laughs> leave that alone. And then I say the other really odd thing is because God is just the word good with one O. Mm. Somebody <laughs> slipped there along the line. We have all these fun things. But uh, I truly believe and try and help each other and be a good person. And I also truly believe religions have been the root of most world evil, but also a great comfort to many people. So I would never say, you're a terrible person because you're religious. I just uh, feel, why fight each other?
0: Mm -hmm. Buddhism is just a nice, easy to understand, simple term that expresses perfectly where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly.
2: Be good. Be good to each other.
0: So now we get into your history a little bit in terms of the work that you do. How long have you been a photographer, and what did you do before, if anything?
2: Well, I started out, I went to university. There was a lot of pressure to go to university and uh, when I was a kid. My my older sister, two years older, was at Trinity College in modern languages at age 16. Mm. Uh, My dad was a well-known doctor in downtown Toronto, so there was tons of pressure to go to university so i studied uh, engineering for one year that was a big mistake and then i changed to dentistry and in second year of dentistry somebody opened their mouth and i realized this is a big mistake
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I
2: got, so then I got a job with uh, something called the OWRC, which was Ontario Water Resources. Uh-huh. And it was at 801 Bay Street, and there was a royal bank down below. And I was there for a couple of years, I guess. I went into the bank one day, and there was this quite beautiful Swedish woman. And uh, I knew a couple of words in Swedish, like taxa and things like that. And we got which married. Means, which, which, me- which, which means orange, what? Which means Does what? It mean? Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. So, okay.
0: I was, I was yeah. looking for something a little well, juicier you, than that. But, yeah, okay. a little racier There's than
2: that. Jag El- Elskar Day, which means I love you. So, okay. uh And then we traveled to Europe. Well, we got married in, in Sweden, and then we hitchhiked for four months because I didn't have enough money to buy a car, even though I'd done my day job for a year and uh, drove a cab on nights and weekends. Still didn't have enough money. I think I had $600 or something. So we hitchhiked, and I took a lot of pictures. I had a, a very small Pentax camera. And then uh, for Christmas that year, she gave me an enlarger. Mm. And uh, I set it up in a bathroom in this tiny little apartment that we rented at Broadview in Danforth.
0: what year was this?
2: This would be 1967. And I'm going, okay, I I would really like to be a photographer. And I went to Natural Resources or some other department. Said, Do you have a job as a photographer? Do you have a degree? And I, no, I don't. So I went to Ryerson for a three-year course. And at the end of the the first year, I realized that my wife was pregnant. We needed to have some money. And I said, I'm going to get a studio. So I found a studio on Bond Street, which was young at Dundas, basically, and it was a fourth-floor walk-up and 1,200 square feet, and it was $100 a month.
0: Yeah. And
2: shared it with three other guys. <laughs> <laughs> so you go, oh, my goodness. And I'm a photographer. Okay, I'm going to be a photographer. And uh, then one day I got really lucky because I met a guy on the street that had been two years ahead of me at school, a guy named Ramsey Derry. And, Ramsey, what are you doing? Well, I'm an editor at a publishing house called McMillan's. And he said, What are you? And I, well, I'm a photographer. So I meet the art director at McMillan's, and the first person I have to photograph is Robertson Davies.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: Which a lot of people today don't know. No pressure. No it, pressure,
1: eh? <laughs> well, <laughs> no pressure.
2: <laughs> and I did it at Massey College, and he's got black in his beard still. And I photographed Robertson a number of times after that, and uh, we'd say hello on the street or whatever. But that was a huge connection. So I started basically work for every publishing house. I probably did hundreds of book covers, anything from a chemistry experiment to a girl on a bed with a gun. You know, it's just like, (laughs) everyone was completely different.
1: By the way, I heard through the grapevine that you photographed Shannon Tweed. Is that true?
2: Uh, yes, yeah, she was a young model from uh, Newfoundland at that point, point. Wow. and none of that uh, Playboy stuff had started, <laughs> although she had an agent named Joe Penny who was uh, kind of wanting to move things further along the line, and uh, they came up with this program called Thrill of a Lifetime, mm-hmm. and you would say what you wanted to be, and Shannon, I guess they set her up to be a, a Playboy bunny. And mm. guess what? It actually happened. Wow. And she became Huey's boyfriend for a while. And now she's married to, what, the the guy with the crazy makeup
0: and all that stuff. With the tongue. Yeah. From, from Kiss. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah, for oh. yeah. <laughs> We're not going to say but, his name.
2: No, but she was just a kid from Newfoundland. And, uh, and models were all sorts of people. They were nice people, or they were a little odd, or they were, you know, off the wall. But it was just... Uh, if that's what it was. So we're back to early days, and the fourth floor walk up was great, except it limited you. So then I rented a studio on Portland Street, and it was on a main floor. And uh, it was about 2,500 square feet, and it was around $600 a month. but And then I realized rents were going to go up, so I bought a building at College of Bathurst in a little back alley for. 2,200 square feet in 1981 for 72000 <laughs> Wow. Like you go, wow. And <laughs> I got Sears as Sears a client, and uh, I was doing all these furniture manufacturers, all the high-end office furnitures like Neon Camper and Steelcase. It just at blossomed. I had two staff, a studio manager and an assistant, darkroom, and we just worked all the time. We'd be working until 10 o'clock at night, and just great career. Very interesting times, and uh, I'll make another connection of somebody I photographed, which was uh, Bob Hunter. Oh, yeah. Do you remember him? Yes, Co- I do. Co-founder of Greenpeace, mm-hmm. and he, he had written a book called Thermageddon 2030, and it was all about climate change. And uh-huh. I realized at that point that we are big doo-doo, and Al Gore came out with The inconvenient Truth at the same time, and it was like, we're really aware now. Of what is going on. And I'd hope that Al Gore would have been president in 2001, that election of January 2001. But Mm -hmm. George W. wins by a dimple chat or some crazy thing. Mm -hmm. And our whole environmental movement just ground to a halt.
1: What do you think about using photography kind of as a political tool? We've seen iconic photographs, that Syrian child on the beach, so many photographs that that have moved people uh, to action. Do you think photography can be a catalyst in that way?
2: Oh, absolutely. There's uh, no question. The young girl with her skin, with her clothes all burned off with not napalm. Yeah. So, yes, there are huge things that could be done. I watched a little documentary last night about a guy named J.R., and you could Google him. He's a Tunisian guy living in France, and he puts up these huge, covers buildings with photographs of oh, people. Nice. And he's changing the world.
0: Hmm. It's just,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it fascinating. For example, he went to uh, Palestine and Israel, and he photographed a taxi driver from Israel and one from Palestine, put them both up on the same side of the wall. And nobody could tell the difference, which one was which. Interesting, you know? yeah. Because yeah. we're all the same. Right. But then we have these horrible divisions made up by politicians or evil men or whatever you want to call
1: them.
0: When you got into this, do you remember the moment when you knew you were in the right place?
2: Probably not early. Uh, I was very shy in those days. Uh, I was very shy as a child and as a teenager and I realized I had to get over that. And I watched other photographers that were really, yeah, blah, blah, look at me, and I'm out there. So it took me a mm. long time to realize that I think I have a pretty amazing talent.
1: Who were your idols in that early period? Who are your photographic idols, people you, you looked up to?
2: I'm trying to think. There were a number of people that... Like Delgado, the guy that photographed work all around the world, uh, wow. was amazing. There were, yeah, there were some photographers that did celebrities and I always found that a little, yeah, it's a picture of Marilyn Monroe with her skirt up, but that's not a great picture. It's just because it's a celebrity and that's what's made it great.
0: Commercially so, viable.
2: Yeah. It just, that's why people look at it and you say, well, that's great, but it isn't, um, we have Ed Bertinsky I think yeah. he's done a wonderful job for exposing the damage we've done to the world. I mean, I could start going back in history and doing Walker Evans and different people like that, but yeah. I'm not sure who has influenced me exactly. I think I have my own vision.
1: Mm. And it
2: just sort of came over the years of Trying to solve every problem uh, at work. We used to photograph chairs, especially office chairs with the five wheels. Right. Each wheel had to be perfectly placed in the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, everything was very defined. And uh, I was pretty good at it. Solving problems, how to put dry ice in the thing to make the, um, it look like a chemistry experiment. I go back and look at the work and I go, holy cow, You know how did I do this? Creative. Yeah, there was a magazine called the International Review, and we had to photograph a guy in a bathtub blowing a little sailboat. He was the president of Lever Brothers at the time, and I had this, I had this four-footed cast iron bathtub, and I painted it gold on the outside. It was Clive blowing a thing. I mean, it's crazy. You just go through the whole thing. You go, what?
3: Box,
0: box. So, what's your story?
3: What about in the old days when they took pictures of you way, way back? You know, where they pulled that thing and exploded and stuff? <laughs> I got a picture of my great grandfather. The thing took six hours to uh, take your picture. And I, uh, it a picture of my great grandfather, one. They only had, every guy had one picture back then. <laughs> and it's just him like, I gotta get back, feed them hugs. <laughs> Who's going to feed the hogs? (laughs) Somebody got to feed them hogs. Now, in the future, of course, it'll be different. 50 years from now, people will be going like, hey, you want to see 100,000 pictures of my great grandfather? I got him right here. Plus, everything he did every day of his life.
1: Box, box.
3: so you're
0: in the middle of all this you're in the big city that's where all the action is this is where all your work is coming from what brings you to the countryside
2: well my parents bought this 25 acres in 1954 hmm. and it was a uh, about 10 acres of open field 10 acres of woods with a beautiful stream starting in it and you could see from toronto to hamilton at that point
0: where exactly is this
2: In Caledon, Caledon Township, which is now the town of Caledon. uh, And I I can still see Mississauga, but all the trees have grown up. And my dad died early, and my mom died in 89. And uh, then four of us owned it, and I wanted to buy it from them, so I did. And I've lived here ever since. I used to drive down to my studio, Mm -hmm. and then traffic just got worse and worse and worse and worse. So I sold the building, and I built a structure here that is a storage barn.
0: Did it change the way you work? Did being in the country change you, the way you felt, and the work you did?
2: Well, if, if we didn't have digital, I couldn't have done it. I tell people a story about going on fashion shoots. Like we'd go to Barbados or Jamaica or somewhere. You'd have four, five models of clothing stylists, the art director, and uh, we'd shoot for a week. Mm-hmm. 50 rolls of film. Didn't have a clue. Bring it back. Take it to the lab and then finally see it. It always worked out. But people today wouldn't be able to understand that, Right. how we did it correctly every single time, because now you just click, look, uh, no wrong, you click, or there's so many things that are automatic. The lighting equipment I still have here is useful, huge soft boxes and things, but uh, the cameras, I still have two of my 8x10 cameras, and people look at them and think, what century were you born in? I <laughs> we use those all the time. I work a lot for In the Hills magazine. I love Signy. And she's allowed me to be introduced to so much of the community as you, Harry, hmm. and your cat on the mantelpiece. <laughs> which you
1: Classic <laughs> you'll photograph.
2: Classic. Yeah, I was photographing Harry, I'll just tell the audience and as the poet laureate. For Dufferin County, and we had to get him sitting down because his bookshelves aren't very high because we wanted the background to be books. And on top of the bookshelf, a little cat jumped up came over about three or four feet, turned his head back and looked at Harry's book. And I remember watching it go across the top. I thought, this is going to be Gotcha.
1: By the so, way, Pete, trashed the book in his review. It was just horrible.
2: Oh, I, he did. I yeah. had to
1: get rid of him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's lovely yeah. cat. That's right.
2: It couldn't have been posed better, I don't think. So that's, uh, but those sort of things. And digitally, shoot, send it, done.
1: Now, Pete, do you think there's been anything lost in the translation from analog to digital?
2: Uh, The only thing is I think everybody has a camera just goes click, 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 click. They don't think. It's still the same process of seeing,
1: Mm.
2: but digitally it just allows so much to be click, 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 click that that doesn't seem to be seen anymore. When you were shooting film, you had to pay for the film, you had to process, pay for the process, and you had to think about which shot you're going to take. And that's all gone. Mm. And. Everybody does a thousand pictures a day with their cell phone and it is a different world. But there are still photographers, commercial or nature photographers, that really think the process out. But digital has made a huge difference. The advance, I love color. I think analog black and white still has a depth to it that is better than digital black and white. But um, that's Mm -hmm. my only take. And I do have a darkroom here but I haven't used it for 10 years.
0: How about work that you'd like to do that you haven't done?
2: Self-portraits. I'll give you a quick run by on those. Okay. So 10 years ago, I was at the Charleston reuse store where you can take stuff and people take it away. And uh, there was this beautiful pram, English pram, with a great big hood and the huge wheels Mm -hmm. in immaculate condition, brand new almost. So I took it home, brought it back here, and sat around for a while. And then a friend of mine was doing self-portraits of herself, dressed up in really great clothes, going up to deserted buildings. And I thought, well, that's interesting of Erica to do that. So I thought, I'll do a self-portrait. So I got the pram, and there's a stone wall behind, and I'm pushing it a little bit up a hill. And uh, it's important that I had my right foot. I'm, I'm going towards the left, and I have my right leg ahead of my left leg. This is very important because I am pushing this pram, and the title is Pushing the Parameters." <laughs> and I won Best in Show at the Zoomer Show hmm. well, about five years ago. Yeah, but wait a minute. And
1: the kicker, isn't there a kicker to this? Yeah.
2: Yeah, because I'm completely naked.
0: (laughs) Was it your best side?
2: Yeah, well, yeah. The uh, the thing is that nothing's showing, so the guys don't get jealous and the girls don't get excited.
1: <laughs> now, have so, you have you ever tried your hand at any other creative pursuits, like carving with butter or lard or that sort of thing, any <laughs> sort of odd oddball? <laughs> well,
2: I I won the art prize for a painting I did in uh, in high school in 1956. I won the art <laughs> prize that year, but that's the yeah. only painting I've ever. Done. But I do I do gardening and I do a lot of things with woodwork and stuff like that. I'm always busy,
0: busy, busy. Sounds like there are no retirement plans.
2: Well, I photographed a guy named Parnaby a couple of years ago and his whole story was you have to retire to something. Right. Oh. And I'm just never gonna retire. Yep. I don't understand that word.
0: I hear That's you loud and clear on that one. Hmm.
2: Cool, and I'm so fortunate I can still do this thing.
1: Still excited after all these years. Yeah, right? after all these years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, have to be.
0: Your age is the love number plus eight, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I do that. The love right number. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the thing is that when I, when you get to be <clears throat> sixty nine, <laughs> uh, I, I had to I, I had to make a joke.
1: You know, sure, be, of course. How <laughs> old are you?
0: I oh, love yeah. it. I love it. I'm going to use that one. I I, I <laughs> didn't
1: know that one until you told me. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know that uh, women throw themselves at, at photographers anyway, right? I mean, they're considered sex symbols in the artistic <laughs> community, isn't that true, Pete?
2: Well, the old photography joke was, uh, "Come in the darkroom and let's see what develops."
0: <laughs> no, but it really, but it really all took off after that naked picture with the pram, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I couldn't believe that I met Moses Zimmer over that. It was interesting. They made huge banners that were hanging all over the C&E, and I'm going, okay, well, whatever.
1: Oh, banner, <laughs> banners of you in the pram over the C&E?
2: Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. They were about five feet by eight feet.
1: Were parents covering their children's eyes as they walked into the exhibition?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was very tastefully done. Ah. So, yeah. That's why I said it was important that one leg was in front of the other.
1: Uh Is there anything else, Pete, that you think that people out there would uh, be interested in hearing about in terms of your life?
2: Well, we did talk about religion, and I'm passionate about that. I'm also passionate about the environment. And the environment thing, to go back to it for a half second, we're into green energy, supposedly, nothing's happening very quickly. But after the, the Inconvenient Truth, I photographed an author Alana Mitchell. And she'd written a book called Dancing on the Shores of the Dead Sea. And it was all about land degradation. And then she came out with a book called Seasick. And it was a number of chapters of scientists that she'd visited about coral reef degradation. And then there was one about the acidity of the oceans.
0: pH balance.
2: pH balance. And she said, do you know that half the world's oxygen comes from Plankton? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. I had no idea. And the pH is going to wipe that out if we keep on going. And she also said that a number of uh, the scientists she asked, you still have hope, and some of them would just start to weep. Hmm. And then I asked her, Atlanta. everybody's yelling fire. Bob Hunter, Al Gore, you are... Who's saying how to put it out? And she said, read a book called The Third Industrial Revolution by a guy named Jeremy Rifkin. He wrote it in 2011. And it's all about clean energy. When the sun's shining, when the wind's blowing, you make hydrogen as the storage. Mm-hmm. And you use hydrogen at fuel cells. And remember, we had them back in 2000 in yes, Toronto. We did, yeah. Some, and none of that has advanced forwards. It's all being suppressed by the oil companies. We're, right. we're just losing so much time. And if we don't, we are going to, I, I, I can't fathom it. I just can't fathom it. And why it's not happening is just beyond my comprehension.
1: So, and if you could create one photograph mm-hmm. for the world to see that would reflect your feeling about climate change and the urgency of it, what would be in that photograph?
2: Uh. Me naked wrapping my arms around a tree. (laughs) 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 A real tree hugger. Oh,
1: my God. It hits home so much more immediately, what you just said. Because I grew up in the city as well and moved to the countryside. And it wasn't until I moved here that I began to appreciate the incredible miracle that life is all around us. So, yeah, I get that very strongly, too.
3: Yeah. So one picture,
2: yeah, it would have to be something like that. Nice.
1: Um, thank you Pete for this. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, I, and uh, I
2: hope it's uh, been uh, informative.
1: Oh yeah. Ex- ex- Absolutely extremely, extremely yeah. informative and enjoyable. And we'll uh, talk again soon, I hope.
2: Okay, yeah, please. And uh, thank you guys.
1: All right.
0: The Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology is a Connecting Dance Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.